Consistent self-improvement, everybody. You are now listening to American Gypsy Podcast. I am your host, Classic, and I am here with my co-host, Gypsy. And today we have special guest, Sean Banks, or SF Banks, from Atlanta, Georgia. Welcome to the show. Nice having you here. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, just, you know, want to get go ahead and get started and kind of, you know, ask for me, I'm doing it a little different this show, you know, I hope that's cool with you. But I just want to ask, you know, and get to know you a little bit more. So tell us, you know, for the listeners Absolutely. and even for myself, where you from? And, you know, what was your childhood like coming up a little bit, you know, that led you to uh, where you are now? Well, I'm in Atlanta now. Uh, been here for a little over 20 years. And uh, no, that's wrong. I've been here for. Oh, man, I'm older than I think I am. Oh, we I've been here for, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> man, no, I've been here since, uh, let's see here, 92. So that's right about 30 years. And originally from Seattle, Washington. And, and growing up was great. I mean, I had a great childhood growing up. I mean, the I remember, for example, I remember what life was like before crack hit the inner city. Wow. And I saw the change of what it was like after it hit the inner city. So uh, put it in perspective, before crack hit, because uh, I obviously grew up in the 80s, uh, before crack hit, you can go outside and, you know, before streetlights came on, there was people on the stoops playing music and, you know, it wasn't a problem. Everything was really cool. I mean, there would be a lot, a lot of kids outside playing. I mean, we lived in, you know, the hood. Uh, it was nice. Uh, and then uh, right around the time crack hit, man, everything changed. For example, the person that would, was the butcher at the you know local store all of a sudden was the same person that was breaking into your car or breaking into your house or was a zombie walking down the street because they got hooked on drugs and so even though it it was it was a tumultuous time for a lot of people in the community because it was a shockwave um, but but overall I mean it was a great childhood things could have been worse I mean just you know perspective wise and this was in you say Cincinnati this is Seattle, Washington. Seattle. I don't know why Cincinnati yeah. popped up there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's all right. Yeah, this is Seattle, Washington. Seattle. Man. Okay. So, right. how old were you when you got to Atlanta? Uh, when I got to Atlanta, I was uh, about twelve. Okay, your family moved there. I'm guessing at that yeah. age. Okay. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Mom so, what you think about Atlanta, man? I think Atlanta's great, man. I mean, it's like any city, man. It's what you make it. You know, what I mean, it has its good parts and it has its, you know, its challenging sides as well. But I think overall, the city is great. Uh, there's a lot of opportunity in Atlanta for people that want to go after it and make it happen. Uh, the, I mean, you know, like with any city, it has its good sides and it has a size that need a lot of improvement. You know, crime could be, you know, could be worked on, but we wish crime could be better everywhere. Everywhere, so, man. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. But overall, it's good. Yeah. So back then, when you went to Atlanta and the transition from Seattle to Atlanta, you was it the same kind of environment more, or was it? different what was the the shock then what do you remember what it was like when you were that age and what you what did you think when i first got to atlanta yeah oh man when Coming i first got atlanta. to atlanta it was all right so when i first got to atlanta outcast was out it was right before a tlc right around that time the face was big okay. uh it was a lot a lot of black love uh it was the music scene was just blowing up i mean it's baby face and i mean all these different rappers goody mob and that was what I came into. Uh, at the same time, it was a huge culture shock for me uh, because even though there are, you know, it's a decent amount of black people in Seattle, <laughs> but not like Atlanta. Uh, right. And so going to school was was definitely a culture shock because you're seeing so many 
just black kids and black people for me was like, wow. Like he just, it was shocking, but it was awesome. Uh, it was an awesome thing to see. I mean, to have, you know, principals in your school and teachers that look like you and doctors and engineers and, you know, chiropractors and, you know, the garbage man, just all these people look like you. And so it was very inspiring. Definitely. I can relate. I'm originally from Mississippi and we lived in uh, Marietta oh, yeah. for about seven years. That's actually where we met. From yeah. where you met where? Marietta. Marietta. Well, in Georgia. Oh, okay. Basically. Yeah. So yeah. you know about, I know where Marietta is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah you yeah. know so, about it. Okay. You're from Mississippi. What part? Yeah. I was born in Oxford, raised in Jackson. Okay. Yeah. All so right. I can, yeah. you know, I definitely, like I said, I can relate to Absolutely. elementary having a black principal and having, you know, just everybody was, was yeah. Black. Yeah. I noticed awesome. you had a couple of programs working with kids. What inspired you to do that? Uh, well, you know, it's interesting because originally I never wanted to work with kids. I, I didn't have any passion <laughs> at all to work with youth. I couldn't stand kids. Now I'm being for real. <laughs> I, just, I, I didn't I want to work with kids. Uh, yeah, I mean, it just wasn't anything I was really interested in. And, uh, you know, really what started changing was, you know, I saw there was a really big need uh, that wasn't being filled. Uh, there were, I started out teaching self-defense to women and children. And the reason why I did that uh, was at the time, it was about 2008, uh, when I really got into doing it heavy and the market had changed, real estate market had changed. I was in finance at the time. And, you know, I was, had always been in martial arts since I was a kid. It was something my mom did nice. uh, to keep us, you know, keep us busy. I mean, it was, you know, you're going to go do something. And so, you know, a buddy of mine said, hey, look, man, let's go and, you know, start teaching these classes. And I was like, all right, cool. And it was at that time I realized that uh, I was actually fulfilling a, a passion that I had a, a goal to be able to do something in my aunt, my cousin's honor. Uh, they were murdered uh, in a domestic violence situation and I always wanted to do something for them. And so that's kind of what kind of spurred me in that direction. And then from there, there was just such a big need that wasn't being met uh, for kids. And it was kids of all colors that just lacking confidence, lacking focus, discipline, they didn't really have any major goals that, you know, just they could, be in a much better place. Uh, and these were kids in all socioeconomic backgrounds. It wasn't just kids in the inner city. I mean, these are kids at private schools and things like that. And I said, okay, well, there's things we could do. So then we opened up, you know, Camp Warrior King to be able to give kids personal development, give them exposure to activities they normally wouldn't experience during the school year. And then from there is where, you know, it's a, you, you can have it all conferences and the magazine and, you know, and the products and things. Yeah. I, I grew up in the orchestra. So I've, you know, I kind of understand the teaching aspect or the working with kids thing. So absolutely, it's it's something that, you know, I'm better at it in the general public more like when I was doing the street performing thing. But yeah. the challenge of being a teacher is something that I haven't mentally been able to really, you know, visualize myself doing. So gotcha. it's definitely hats off to you for, you know, making that um, transition or even just to to fight that. Right. Not, not being able or, you know, not really having a, a drive to work with kids because, yeah, it's a definitely a different ball game. What are some of the things that, Stuff. you know, when you first started, what are like the tiptoe day to day challenges that kind of help you to get past the, the you know, to get move past that that um, centered feeling of I don't want to work with kids or I'm not interested <laughs> in working with kids or, you know, I move around yeah. that versus. Yeah. Yeah, it, it took a while. I mean, because it, I mean, for a while, it was something that I still didn't want to do. Um, but it, what started happening really is, 
you know, doors started closing on one side and the doors kept opening over on this side. And so, you know, it's like common sense. You either going, you're going to go where the doors keep opening if you want to, you know, be able to keep being able to pay your bills and make things happen. And so it wasn't something that I was initially like, yeah, this is great. I want to go ahead and do this. It was like, no, can I, so, <laughs> can I work, so work a deal out of something else I can do? Uh, <laughs> but, you know, when I realized that I could actually become free from doing it and not have to, you know, rely on someone else to put food on my table, that I could be able to make it happen for myself. That was when I was like, oh, okay, yeah, you know, this is this is better. Um, and, you know, I had to do a lot of training. Like, I had to read a lot. I had to study a lot. I had to get better because I wasn't good at it. And I had to really work hard at that. And I had to fight through the fears that were there um, that, you know, how do I teach these kids? You know, how do I run a camp? How do I build all this stuff? Because I didn't have those skills. I didn't have those, that skill set at all. I was in something totally different. I had skills, right? I had knowledge right. to do things, but not specific to working with youth. And so I had to learn how to do that and, and fight through the fears and get it done. That's dope, man. Yeah. No, kind of <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I guess um, I hit a blank. I was... I, <laughs> I didn't want to keep drilling you on the kids thing on the team. Oh, you're all right, man. We really. And then I didn't want to keep going back to Atlanta, but I kind of do still (laughs) want to go back to Atlanta. You've been there for a long time. So I'm a musician myself. Like I said, did the whole, you know, as far as hip hop producing thing, I just recently took a break from it. Atlanta is, you know, of course it's, it's one of a kind when you, when you're doing it as far as culture and business and, and like I said, I, I remember just being there. You got black everything, you know. Right. What is something from those kids that come from, like you say, the the worst neighborhood or the bad neighborhoods from any part of, you know, I guess the United States? What are some of the, I guess I can't, because it's, it's not as easy as, I guess I'm I'm kind of stuck on the question, but f- forgive me on that. Are you all right? I don't want to ask just a regular question from how to, what is the regular motivation? Because you can't really answer that. What is, you know, some of the tips and things you can give the average youth or anything like that. But what are some of the, the key tips that we're looking at from what we have to, from cryptocurrency, from just something outside of the norm of football, Mm-hmm. Um, basketball. I guess you could even say right. where we at now, doctor wise, it's a, mm-hmm. it's a risky career wise, but sure. what are some of the, you know, the things that you can inspire a kid? You might not know nothing about it, but mm-hmm. it's outside of the realm of, you know, the normal what, stuff, the that normal they're doing. stuff. Yeah. Just like with if music wise, yeah, man, you promote your music by your, uh, you, you record music, do the same little cycle. Right. What is something that's outside of the box that they're not telling kids these days, even just coming up in the school? Oh, wow. That's a, that's, that's a great question. Very strong. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a great question that you ask and something that, that a lot of, a lot of parents need to pay attention to. Um, So what, one of the biggest things that kids need to be focusing on 
and it, they you hear it, but they're not hearing it enough. And I'll dive into it uh, is children in the inner city, in particular, specifically black children, need to focus on getting into tech. They're not focused on technology enough. And the reason why is because all of the jobs, especially right now, are being being siphoned out, right? Mm -hmm. Because the especially jobs that are considered, uh, you know, just, you know, your, your clerk jobs, your, you know, so for example, you can go to a racetrack gas station right now in Atlanta, walk in there and there's nobody that's going to check you out. Really? There's a machine. You can, you can get your soda. You can check everything out yourself, go get your gas, walk out the door or order your food. The food's going to pop out and there's no, there's no clerk. There's no attendant. Mm -hmm. You can, I just came from uh, the consumer uh, electronics show in Vegas uh, a couple weeks ago, and it was an eye-opening thing because there's so much technology coming out that's going to make jobs obsolete, and so many kids are not even paying attention to it because their parents aren't pointing them into that direction. So, for example, you have, of course, you have, you know, you've heard about autonomous trucks, but it's another thing to see one to actually see this whole big rig that looks like Optimus Prime, like just sitting there and it's going to be driving down the street, delivering your food and your goods and services. Like, yeah, you got all these Amazon drivers right now, but in the next five to 10 years, well, the one of the trucks that I saw be out in four years, mm. right? It, it's here. Uh, another big, a huge industry, a huge industry for kids. If there's any kid that is anywhere between middle school, high school, that is, wants to go to college or doesn't want to go to college and wants to go to trade school, uh, where I would tell them, where I would point them to, uh, or one place I'll point them to would be to learn how to fly drones. This is why. By the year 2025, now it's 2022. By 2025, they're going to need over 100,000 people to fill job positions in flying drones for everyday things. That is, you can look it up online. You go to Dragonfly. Nice. You can check it out on Dragonfly. We did an article in our magazine on Dragonfly. And we're talking about where they're going to be flying drones um, to do surveillance, flying drones to put out fires and to show them where the fires are, uh, to fly back and forth to oil rigs, for medicine, um, for, for war, um, for any, I mean, shipping goods and services. And each job requires a different niche. So let's say I, I'm into flying one for like firefighters, right? right. And you're in the one for flying uh, like oil rigs. And then uh, you're into one for flying, uh, let's, let's just say medical services. Each one of those is a different skill set. So I can't fly your rig. She can't mm. fly my rig. It's a different skill set. 100,000 jobs in the next three years, right? Uh -huh. And they're going to fill those jobs. The thing is, is that are they going to fill those jobs with kids coming out of the United States or from somewhere else around the world? Here's one more for you. Uh, I was talking to someone I was out there and she said that in the state of Washington, actually in Seattle, they have one of the largest job opportunity markets in the United States. They're like number one for it, for mm -hmm. tech, but they're like bottom of the barrel for people to fill them. So there's a huge need for technology. And the thing is, is that kids just got to be creative and get out there, you know, and, and they're just being inundated with a whole lot of other things. But that, that's, that's something they could be doing for real. Then they can own a basketball team and play for it. 
and then go fly a drone or something. I don't know. Those are definitely great tips. Um, I, for one, I'm in the technology space. And um, to add to what you said earlier, it's the technology space. It's such a wide, um, it's like, you know, being in the healthcare industry. That's such a wide variety of things you can do. And people don't understand that. Um, You can be creative in the technology space. You can be um, working with numbers and finance in the technology space. You can be uh, more of like a manager, a project manager in the technology space. You can be like, you can transfer a lot of your skills that you have in whatever you're doing now into the technology space where things, the industry is flourishing um, and there's a lot more jobs, new jobs. The last one you mentioned, the drone thing, I didn't even know about, about that really. Like how, I I just didn't think about how big of an industry that is going to be. Even Amazon is going to start delivering with drones and things like this. So that that's really great to well, they, on that. Well, they're and they're already doing it. Is the thing. Mm-hmm. So they're already, uh, for example, like I said, we did an article on Cameron Shell, and Cameron Shell is a gentleman who. Uh, so he did a couple things. The first company that he had created the cloud, right? So the actual cloud we use for our computers and all that, blah blah blah, for pictures. His company created it. Then the second thing that he did that was really big is he put the first set of cameras on the International Space Station. And so now he's over this company and, uh, and he's doing tremendous things with it. And he has a really big heart. So, you know, they have, for example, a program at Alabama State. I was going to say a but a state. They have a program down in Alabama State. They just opened another program at Alabama A&M for drone flying for like simulators and stuff mm-hmm. because the one at A&M is over there by uh, uh I said like it's down the street, huh? Over there by yeah, <laughs> uh, near uh, the NASA uh, museum and the stuff over there, uh, and the they are responsible. Dragonfly is responsible for having the first drone that ever saved a human life in a search and rescue mission. They couldn't get the helicopters in there to find the person that was lost, so Dragonfly has this technology where they like heat sensor where they can find. And so they found the body. Uh, or found the person was still alive, actually, uh, based on their heat. Yeah. Um, I don't know, you know, like heat seeking or whatever. Yeah. You know? um, and and so that drone is actually sitting in the Smithsonian in Washington D.C. Uh, and the Drone Flying League, where they're actually racing drones and like for competition, it's like <laughs> VR. And they, I mean, if you if you type in Drone Flying League, it's going to pop up. They have simulators and everything where you can, and it's like VR glasses on. And these guys are flying these drones through stadiums and all this stuff, like racing drones, like they're racing cars and they're flying and doing loops and doing all this stuff. And it's crazy. And it's a whole different league and it's super fun. And those are things that kids get into, can get into, right? And they just need to know about it, know it's there. And let me tell you this, there's one last thing about Cameron that's really important mm-hmm. is that he did not, he didn't graduate from college. Mm-hmm. He, didn't, he didn't have a master's in technology. You know, but he's been the head of all these different companies, right? And he's out of Canada, right? He's from Canada. He had a, and he has one of the top TED Talks uh, ever, and his story is great. You should check it out. And the reason why I just, we're talking about, I just think that that's a story that a lot of people can relate to. Like, man, you don't have to go to MIT. You don't have to be this super, super 
smart techie person. You can have the will and the dream and you can make it happen. Yeah. You can build a team to make it happen. There you go. Yeah. Um, I know we talked about what they should get into, but working <clears throat> with kids, what are some trends you're seeing um, in terms of interests in career paths? For kids? Yeah. For kids? Like, um, well, the interest that we're seeing from a lot of kids is, is pretty much the same stuff, right? I mean, you have kids that are interested in, you know, they're getting more interested in, uh, you know, of course, cryptocurrency is a big thing now as kids are starting to get into it and understand it, you know, NFTs, things like that. Uh, but the schools, a lot of the schools uh, could be doing, doing a better job of promoting kids to have a broader scope of what's possible. Uh, especially kids in the inner city. I mean, there's the the world's their oyster. They have access to the internet, uh, but you still have some of the same careers that kids talk about: being a doctor, being a lawyer. You know, doing these same things, but they, you know, but there are so many other opportunities that they can really get into. Uh, so, I think it's pretty much the same. What's your experience like with traveling, and how important? Would you do you think you know traveling is for youth? I think that travel is critical for youth. Uh, I think that it's critical in so many so many levels. Uh, one because you know it's all about exposure, and when a child's mind is exposed to something positive or exposed to different parts of the world and seeing different things in the world, then they have a broader scope of what's possible. Uh, they get to see that you know there's beauty all around the world. Uh, that, you know, especially when you go outside of the United States, you know, we don't realize how isolated we are. So, you know, when you travel to different places like, you know, Japan or, you know, or Africa or Europe or Spain, all these different places, and you realize that, okay, man, these places are really cool. They have a lot to offer. And, and you decide like, man, I may not want to live in the United States. I might want to live in China. I might want to live in, you know, in Malaysia. I might want to live somewhere else where, I can, you know, that's my vibe, right? It's like a mm -hmm. good place to be. And I think it's critical for kids. Uh, and it's part of the reason why we're doing what we're doing with the youth magazine is pretty much making the world smaller by giving them exposure to different places around the world. And so they can realize that, you know, people are pretty much the same. Kids are pretty much the same on this side of the globe that they are on the other side. They like to play and have fun, laugh and talk. You know, they don't want to be bullied. They don't want to be talked about. They want to be something cool when they grow up. Some of them don't know what they want to be. Some of them are on, like, for example, in uh, Melbourne, uh, Australia. Some of the kids that have the same issues they have there. Drugs is an issue in Melbourne, just like it is in the United States. But you don't hear that, right? But it's mm -hmm. important for them to hear those kinds of things because then you realize, man, okay, there's issues all over the world. Maybe I can't solve an issue here in the United States like I could maybe over in Melbourne. Maybe I should move there. Maybe they'll take my idea over there. Right. So I think that is great as far as opportunity perspective. Yeah. What are some of the places you visited just for our listeners? Oh man. Oh man. I've, so I've been to Africa. I have a uh, orphanage in Uganda. Uh, okay. I've been to Jamaica. I've been in Japan, uh, Trinidad. I've been to Europe. Uh, I've been to Canada. Uh, I've been down South America. I've traveled a lot. That's <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah. What's one of your favorites? So what would it, what would be your you know top three? uh man africa 
uh, Africa would be Africa, Africa, and Africa would be the top, the top three. Um, <laughs> How did sure. you get into? Um, oh. Go ahead. Hmm? Sorry, I didn't want to. Oh, no, I was just saying Africa, just because of the the beauty. You know, when you, when you talk about travel, um, Africa is a, is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful place. The the nature and the wildlife and the people, and to see the people and to see people on the other side of the world that look like you and look like it looks like Atlanta, right? But it's a lot more people, right? Mm-hmm. When you you see you see people that look like friends, you know, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. oh man, he look like Earl, you know, he like he look like somebody <laughs> yeah. you, grew up in the with, you know, and it, and it's cool. But when you talk to them, they speak a totally different language, or you know, and, and the kids over there might speak three, four, five different dialects, you know. And, uh, and so that's really cool. Japan is beautiful. Uh, it's really, really beautiful. The culture. Uh, I think that any Asian country is beautiful. They have such a rich culture and they've been around for so long, just like, you know, countries in Africa. And, uh, you know, it's important to travel and see that when you go to those places, you, you definitely say, I mean, I got to come back here. I got to see it again. You get a different perspective on the United States. You get a different perspective on people. Um, because you, one of the things you see is you see people with, you know, a lot less of the things, right? Like all this stuff, but they seem a lot happier mm. without all the stuff. Have you um, advised the, your, I guess, the kids to all, all of them to get a passport? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, one of the things they were working on well before COVID was, you know, starting to do some international travel uh, with the kids we have in our program. Uh, of course, you know, just getting their parents and like, you know, let's just go to some of these places because it's important. Like it's important to see, you know, see a different, you know, they need to see a car driving on a different side of the road. They need to see yeah. or hear different languages, try different food, right? The food, some foods in certain areas don't have as much salt and have as much sugar, right? It tastes different, but it's really, really good. You know, they need to see everything. How did you get into working with the orphanage in Uganda? Uh, I So we've been doing conferences. You can have it all, youth conferences. And we did a conference there uh, as to how it started. And in the conference, there was a gentleman who, actually the person that invited me to come uh, and do the conference, I had an orphanage that was struggling. And they weren't going to be able to keep the orphanage open. Uh, there wasn't a lot of support. and he was like, okay, you know, what can we do about that? And, you know, we decided to, you know, take the orphanage on and, you know, pretty much take over the orphanage and support it and run it um, and be able to take care of the kids. So it's not, I mean, it's, we have about 30 kids there. It's a pretty modest size, you know, orphanage, um, which is, you know, allows us to be able to figure out really what we're doing and how to be able to take care of the kids and, you know, be able to scale it from there. Um, you know, to be able to provide support because we take care of, you know, pretty much everything from, you know, school because school costs, like any school, you know, it costs money to go to school. It's not free like how it is here. So kids really value school. So going to school, you know, food, shelter, you know, clothing, I mean, everything, um, you know, we take care of. And so it, you know, that's how it happened was, man, we got to do something. What what struck me, what, what hit my heart was, uh, so you're driving, we're driving down down the street, getting ready to go, and I was going to speak at the at the uh, crusade and conference again, and there was a cardboard box on the street, and you know there were 
little feet in the box. And I'm like, wait a minute, like, that's not a grown man feet. You know, you, you know, you're used to seeing grown people homeless. It's not a good thing, but you're used mm-hmm. to seeing that more in the United States. You're not used to seeing children. And so then it's like, man, wait a minute, it's a whole bunch of little feet in cardboard boxes down here. And there was a ton, a ton of child homelessness. And so to see children, I'm talking like seven, eight, nine, ten, you know, years old, homeless on the street, right, is, you know, it's, it's a terrible thing that happens, but it's because of wars and things going on. And these mm-hmm. kids don't have any parents and there's nobody feeding them. There's no soup kitchens. There's no, you know, there's no food banks where they can eat. You know, these kids are eating out the trash can. And, and the gentleman that uh, invited me to come, he used to be a homeless child. And he was telling me about stories of things that he had gone through. When we wanted to try to feed the kids, we had to try to get permission to be able to feed them because you can't just do it. And then when you do feed them, you have to give every single child food. If not, they'll fight over it. So it's one thing to see kids fight because somebody called them a, a, a punk or pushed them or did something. It's another thing to see children fighting over food, right? Because you imagine how you would fight if you were hungry, right? That's very violent. So when you see kids fighting like that, man, it's like, man, we got to do something about that. And, and so that's that's what they did for me. That's what I mean. I was like, I don't care what it takes. You know, um, you know I believe in a higher power and uh, we'll make it happen that way. And so that's what we did. Grateful for you, bro. Sir. So, yeah, I guess the next question, I'm a UFC fan. Okay. So when did you get into mixed martial arts and, you know, what's your, what's your background with that? I'm not, a, yeah. I'm not into mixed martial arts. I tickled huh. on it going, you know, growing yeah. up, I did more orchestra <laughs> stuff, you know, but yeah. I've, I've, you know, I've always loved the, the sport. It took me a little time to sure. get into it, but you know, sure. I, I like to, sure. to watch it. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Now, I've been in martial arts since I was six. Uh, my mother put me in martial arts. The first art I studied was Taekwondo uh, at the Boys and Girls Club in Seattle, Washington. Uh, and from there, I just fell in love with it. It's like, you know, as a kid, I mean, I wanted to be like, you know, G.I. Joe, like Snake Eyes or Power Ranger or whatever. And, um, and so that's what got me into it. And then you realize that it's none of that. Uh, you're not going to be <laughs> flying and flipping through the air and doing all that. It actually takes discipline and work. Uh, and so now I just got into studying different arts. So I studied Taekwondo. I studied Kung Fu. Actually, I studied Hungar Kung Fu uh, as a kid. Um, matter of fact, the first amount of money I earned um, from this job I had as a little kid, uh, I took it all and spent it at this martial arts store buying like Ninja Stars and stuff. I can't believe my parents let me do it, but they did. <laughs> uh, but I earned the money. <laughs> I earned the money, man. So they let me do that. Um, and then from there, uh, you know, I studied ninjutsu, I studied hapkido, I studied hankido, I studied krav maga, I've studied a lot of different arts. Uh, and I tell you, UFC is not my thing. Um, I, I admire the guys that get in the cage and do that. Um, but you know, I, that is not my bag, man. You know, and I definitely believe that you got to know your limits. And, and know what you what you're good at doing and what you want to do and what you're not. <laughs> and I'm Trust like, me. man, I'm like, yeah, nah, I, I, nah, that, that's nah, that's Trust not me. my thing. I oh, understand. There's even some I'm things like, I I mentally want to do. You know, of course, I want to, yeah, you know, at least be in shape to be able to right. do it and know the basics of it. Yeah, but it's still the grappling thing, man. It's still like, you know, hold on, yeah. let me start here. 
when when you got right. me like this, and I'm like, bro, come on, I'm tapping already. Right, I'm tapping this, already. Man. I can't do this. Right, right, right. <laughs> you know, I know we just training, but man, come on, I can't do man. that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like calm down. You gotta get them to calm down. You you tapping and they acting like they don't hear you. You're like, bro, I'm good. You know, like you know, it's it's you know, that's the most um, respect. And that's the, uh, I got the most respect for them guys, man. And yeah, it's a different yeah, breed I, of, of people that do it. It yep. really is. I mean, you really gotta. I mean, I watched the uh, man the documentary on Kimbo Slice and how he started and how he was just like backyard. in the backyard, like yeah. just fighting these guys. Just and I was just like, yo, man, like, and they would be telling him like, I'm good, stop, and he would still be like hitting them with them. <laughs> them two pieces wop wop you know they like yo you know like i'm like hey all right you know so yeah he was on man he was a beast man yeah he was yeah and what's interesting about that is he was a beast all the way up until he got knocked out by a guy that i don't know how much that guy weighed that knocked him out but he hit him at the right time yeah. And after that, it was like the whole mystique was gone after that. But, uh, you know, stuff. it's a lot of comp and, you know, competition as well in yeah. UFC and all of them fighters as well. Yeah. So it was definitely a, a step up in a different, you know, kind of competition. Absolutely. I haven't heard anything from that guy that accidentally that did that right right right, right. <laughs> where, where are they now <laughs> yeah i don't know i couldn't tell you the guy's name but you know yeah. it was still you know like i said the 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 breed of person who he was and i've watched mm-hmm. the um when he was on the tough show mm-hmm. and a lot of the things that he mentally went through to make that transition from fighting in the streets to being more professional fighter you know and overcoming some of those demons Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's wow. It's a different breed, yeah. man. Mentally and yeah. physically, you know, that's and a right. lot of people don't understand that with the sport. And that's I've I've kind of that's fell tough. off from watching basketball, and I don't really watch football. I have a you know any favorite teams, uh-huh. but I I've gotten into contact sports, and I can watch them in a whole lot better than I can watch football or ba- uh, baseball. Right. Or, yeah. Right. And it's just out of respect, man. Because and it's just you know I don't know. I've out of respect for the fighter. I know that each yeah. one of them that's got in that cage has really, you know, yeah, trained and, took some, <laughs> and yeah. they got some guts and just took some L's. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think also that mixed martial arts also is a is kind of a good discipline in future for some. I could I could say certain states or places me personally from mississippi i can look at mississippi right now and i could see how in la we're here in la um Mm -hmm. gyms everywhere it's an expensive place to live most fighters can't really spend a lot of money for training or you know a lot of that depends they don't some of them don't have you know money to pay for the gym or the coaches and things like that right but i feel like in the future mississippi would be a good place to grow a good mm-hmm. MMA community, or you know, that type Absolutely. of thing. Have you familiar with Jackson or with with Mississippi? I'm familiar. I'm familiar with Jackson. I'm familiar with Mississippi. Okay. Uh, so when I was in school, we used to go down to Jackson, down to Jackson State a lot. Yeah, I did uh, three I was, years uh, at Jackson State. Okay, yeah, I was yeah. at uh, in Alabama, and uh, we would go to school. I mean, we would go down to Jackson State and hang out there. 
And uh, actually, my father's side of the family is from Shelby, Mississippi. Okay. So right up there in the Delta. So my uh, my grandfather uh, was a sharecropper. And um, a lot of the, so to make extra money, uh, they would have Friday night fish fries and parties and stuff like that. And a lot of the blues players that was on the circuit, like so Bobby Blue Bland, Holland Wolf, B.B. Yeah. Uh, King, um, all these different guys would go up that circuit and they would stop at my grandfather's house and play and do those parties and stuff. And yeah. So yeah, but that's where yeah, all my family's from. So I'm very familiar. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's changed a lot since my childhood and mm-hmm. I don't know when's the last time you were there, but I'm original. I'm from West Jackson. Okay. So West Jackson has kind of declined compared mm-hmm. to the surrounding area. But it is there's still also a lot of things that you know can be done to in the future. I could say sure. even, I can't even speak on the school system and anything like that. But like I said, just from looking at it and looking at potential from uh for um, you know, a place where MMA, I feel like MMA gyms and things like that, and it could provide a opportunity. With thrive. Yeah, I think hopefully, and that's something that even the long term goal of mine that I would like to kind of string along and try to pull there or grow there in, in the city, even though I'm not Definitely. into it like that, but. Yeah. What's your passion about? It's the same thing. It's exactly what we were just talking about. Yeah. With, with and it's a lot of money up. into it. You know, it's a, it's a, yeah. a billion dollar, you know, sport boxing, even at, right. at least. Yeah. And the right. crime there, I feel like it could help with the crime as well. It's, it's pretty popular for crime. So I feel yeah. like that's also something that, you know, the youth, if you could kind of, get the youth into something and kind of find a, a theme, a new mm-hmm. theme of this city. Cause you know, they don't have any major teams or anything like that, but just right. the possibility of possibly making a champion, you know, right. And right. to kind of, cause you got Deion Sanders is doing that. He's made, he's made the city Jackson state champions. Right. You know, right. Right. To kind of right. still grow from there, but to more help and, you know, kind of discipline the right. city a lot more. Right. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, the potential is great. Yeah. And I can also relate to the, like you said, with the ninja stars and stuff. Just going back <laughs> to Atlanta, where you saying you surprised your parents did that. Yeah. We grew up in the orchestra and, and we went to Atlanta a lot for orchestra competitions and stuff like that. Right. So uh, we stopped by during a freak Nick one time and my mom actually <laughs> asked buy a t shirt. <laughs> with you know <laughs> some girl booties on it yeah and yeah. that was one of the thoughts like i still can't believe my mom let us buy that shirt <laughs> but <laughs> that's one of the things of atlanta that people don't will yeah. never never understand and never get the experience and never get to experience <laughs> man they, they, yeah they, yeah that yeah, yeah they, we, they like i said we may have been that. sixth grade maybe. yep that sounds <laughs> about right <laughs> yeah. yeah that sounds about right down at freak nick like man what was you even doing here it was like yeah i'm happy you got to see that <laughs> I, I will never forget <laughs> ever yeah um any you have something i know i've been talking for a minute no, I you, keep... so being in atlanta for as long as you've been what are some of the, you know, the, the big things that you see in Atlanta that you would like to see in other places? So what, even just from the unity and the people, or what do you think are some of the strengths that Atlanta has that 
we need to be able to grow in other communities, even if it was out here in LA, how could we bring the strengths of LA's, I mean, of Atlanta's unity to a place like Los Angeles? Um, I think the, I think the networking abilities, but I think that it's, I think it's in other cities. Uh, I mean, it's the, geographically Atlanta is set up where it's a high concentration of, of black people, uh, which is great. Um, but I think that it's something that's going on in other parts of the, of the country, but just not, uh, it's just not as many people, but the, you know, the ability to, to network, um, and to be able to talk to someone, that's of your same race about health issues or about, you know, business and real estate and all those things are important. I think that it's just a matter of more people getting into those industries and working together. And I think that although Atlanta is a very great city, it still has a, a lot of improving to do when it comes to that, of working together. Um, because it, you know, it's, you know, we have a black mayor, we have a lot of people in power that are doing a lot of things. Uh, but there's still a lot, a lot to be desired for. Um, so I think that what other people are doing in different states, if there's any people in any state or city and, and they're working together, that is all that's happening in Atlanta. But there's just more people in Atlanta making it happen. Um, I think that Atlanta has a lot to learn from other cities like L.A., uh, where people are enterprising and doing and making things happen in the black community. Um, you know, for example, Atlanta is great of a city as it is and representing black people need more black grocery stores, mm. right? There's not a black Kroger chain, for example, or a Winn-Dixie, right? Um, there is um, a lot of the community, a lot of the businesses in the black community are not owned by black people. Um, so it's, I don't want to get it twisted. I don't want people to get it twisted to think that, you know, Atlanta is a utopia in the sense for black people there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. And I think that a lot of the people that are coming from outside of Atlanta, coming into the city, bring those ideas, right? Of, you know, somebody coming from New York has a different perspective on business and enterprise and they come to Atlanta and they thrive and they use that business and enterprise and that's good. Somebody from LA, same thing. Uh, I think that the opportunities in Atlanta are available anywhere else in the country, maybe not at the scale, uh, but there's a lot that, that needs to be that needs to be done. Um, and I think that it kind of goes for other communities around the country. Um, the biggest issue, well, there's a lot, but I don't want to say the biggest issue at all, but a major issue is that it's 2022 and there's still a big challenge of black people working together. Yes. So you can go to the Hispanic community, you can go to the Korean community, you can go to the Indian community, and I mean like India, like India, Indian, right? And they have they have restaurants, they have jewelry stores, they have grocery stores, they have clothing stores, and they support each other. The dollar is cycling in their community many, many times. The dollar, I mean, I, I forgot how long there's a, there was a scale about how many times the dollar cycles in like an Asian community before it goes out. Right. The dollar comes in, the black community goes right back out. You can have a man with a with a chicken with a with a chicken stand having a business, but the people won't go to his chicken stand. They'll go to some 
corporations chicken and buy their food and not support the brother that's here that has a business that's trying to put food on his table and trying to give you something healthy. And his is going to cost more because he can't buy. He doesn't have farms of chickens, right? But the people won't make the sacrifice. Whereas in other communities, they're going to shop with each other. And so that I think is, is what could be done all over. And yeah, they're, they're making it look good in Atlanta uh, as if it's happening, but there's still a lot that can be done. I mean, it's okay, but it could be a lot better. What do you, I'm sure there's a lot of factors that goes into that, but like, what do you think are some of the factors? Why do you think um, the dollar is going out a lot faster in the black community? Uh, do we have enough time for that? <laughs> oh man, do we have enough time for that? Um, okay. Um, why do I think that that's happening? I think that there's a there's a ton of reasons why it's happening, um, and I think that you know we really uh, you know you have a lot of different thoughts. You know, it's one that we've been bred to be this way. You know, which there's truth in that. Um, there's one that, you know, now we're accountable for where we are and there's truth in that. And, um, and so I think that the, the thing is a lot of it has to do with our perspective of what we value a lot of times. Um, you know, why is it that we will drive 30 miles to go to a restaurant on the other side of town to be able to say that we did it? Or why is it that we, you know, in our music, we talk about how cool it is to wear things or to buy things that we don't own or that aren't owned by black companies? Um, Why is it that we listen to music and support and buy the music that talks about the degradation of our women or about killing each other, creating a hostile environment so that if I see another black man, I'm, 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 I'm hostile, right? Why are we, and I think that it's a lot of layers to that, but a lot of it is that, right? And that begs the question of what came first, the chicken or the egg, that the music start creating the environment that we're in or was the environment here and the music just started reflecting it at one point the music was reflecting the environment they were talking about what was going on in the hood to get that out right so for example nwa you know a lot of their music was talking about what was going on when they were talking about the police they were talking about what was going on right what was happening in the hood and there wasn't any light being shed on that now i don't understand how it's all of a sudden cool to like be on Xanax, why why are we rapping about it's cool to be on, on drugs or why it's cool to be like, you know, all these things we're saying. That's not mm-hmm. all of a sudden. And so, you know, if I'm focused on how much I love a product out here that my people don't own, when I see a product that's owned by my people, I'm not necessarily going to support it because I've already devalued it by saying that it's more important to get this stuff out here. And you can't blame any other culture for taking advantage of that. If if other cultures are making their money off the backs of our people, that's our people's fault for allowing that to happen. Then we can say that it's not, but at 
but I can't change another man. I can only change myself. The African proverb says if there's no enemy on the inside, the enemies outside can do us no harm. So if we go just on that right there, which came from our ancestors, if there's no enemy on the inside, the enemies outside can do us no harm, then I think that answers the question, which is we have so many enemies on the inside. Understood. And I can say, yeah, as a, even as a musician, you know, I've seen my phases of music. So, yeah, I don't vibrate with music the same way. Right now, I could say I'm on a hiatus. I'm, I'm a little bit retired from instrumental music and kind of, you know, just studio yeah. stuff altogether because, yeah, it's just um, it's a new leaf, I guess. And yeah. I couldn't necessarily keep up from even before. Um, the frequency is not the same with music right um and like i said it's it's hard to to even visualize because you have compton you know like you said nw nwa reflecting what they were seeing and then you have now like you said what they're rapping about and it's being almost like we noticed that it went from reflecting to was still kind of reflecting but with more in a weaponized way of also creating a new monster or there was a change in between like between nwa and now like now i think there's a strong push by the industry executives and these companies that are um molding these artists to push a certain um narrative a certain you know Mm-hmm. stereotype so that you can influence the youth in general because music is one of the most powerful ways uh it is a vibration it's frequency and sound um right. and it does affect people i mean there's been a scientist that figured out how to how to remove some cancers from the body by using certain frequency of sound so sound does a lot of different things to people uh, changes your vibration so i think there's a strong push you know it might have started out the music might have started out reflecting what was in the hood but i think at some point between then and now there was like a strong push to only push that narrative um and so like people just want to make money when they get a, a record deal they sign the deal and now they're stuck with um a certain contract and they have to output music and then they output music they're like oh no we we'd rather have you talk about this kind of stuff and this kind of stuff and this is what's trending and right so this is what's selling against the yeah. wall as an artist but to i be do creative i do like what uplift. you said earlier like it is also our responsibility not to let that not to let the industry or whatever take advantage of us um because at the end of the day you have to agree to it so right well i mean and it's it's really interesting i mean you know the when so for example you know you you don't listen to luther vandross before you go do a drive-by <laughs> right yeah. i mean he, you know i mean can you imagine they're not like do 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 nobody not doing that they listen to whatever's going to get them in that mood and yeah. and yeah i mean the accountability at the end of the day 
regardless of why it's happening, this is my, my opinion, regardless of why it's happening, regardless of who created it, regardless of how it started and what's going on, it ultimately falls on, on, on the black community to do something about it because nobody can change it but, but us. We, if, if, for example, the black community was united, right, and we said we're not listening, we don't want this kind of music for our kids, we're not playing it anymore, and there was a boycott on that, and it would be like the industry would say, okay, what do you want? You want to talk about lollipops and rainbows? You want to talk about cars? Because ultimately they don't care what's going to sell. Yeah. And so at the point of where it sells, then they listen, and that's what it is. Because everybody, here's the thing, everybody else is not talking about the same thing, right? There are, I mean, you're an artist, I mean, and, and a producer and in the music, I mean, you're artists all over the world talking about different topics. I mean, look yeah. at somebody like Imagine Dragon. Their yeah, topics are, are different genres, and it's motivational music. And they're like one of the biggest groups on Spotify, right? You look at all these, and so it's just, you know, at what point do we say, all right, you know, we're going to be accountable for what's going on in our community? You know, when when you start talking about there are, you know, three or four generations of crackhead users. Okay, grandma was a crackhead, dad was a crackhead, the child is a crackhead. That's a very powerful thing. I'm talking about real life stuff, people I know, like situations where it's just generational. Wow. Right? At what point, how do you, so so our question then becomes, how did this person start using crack when you saw, right? So it's breaking those generational curses and things that we know how it got here. We know we didn't put it in here. We know we didn't create it. We know that the laws are slanted to get us in prison if we if we sell it, okay? then why is it that we're still allowing all this to happen in our community? You know, and, and so that makes it very difficult. But when the enemy's on the, in, on the inside, if he can't eat, if he don't sell me dope, or if he thinks he can't eat, if he don't sell me dope, then he's going to sell me dope so he, can, so he can eat. Or if he has a felony, right, or somebody got a felony and they can't get a job, and it's like, well, what am I going to do? Yeah, it's very hard to do what we're doing out here to be positive and create a business and have to struggle and have to do all that. Everybody's not built for it tough. So they say, Oh, okay, well, man, I could rob somebody and make this money. It was easy to do it. I could listen to the music. It gets me excited about doing it. Now all of a sudden I'm justified in doing it. Now my favorite rapper is saying he did it and look at where he is now. And the kid is uneducated. He's like, man, I'm going to do that. I'm going to rise to the top. He go outside, he gets shot. Now it's a cycle starts all over again. Even I grew up um, in the in the church. I'm more spiritual than religious. Mm-hmm. Most, like I said, in, in most hoods, you have churches on in in the neighborhoods. Yeah. What do you think is you know the the impact of some of the recycled uh, things that's going on in the black community? Do you have it? You think that it goes along with the brainwash of certain things that happen in the church or the repeated tradition that's in the church? I think that right now, a large group of the churches in the black community are doing the black community a disservice. And the reason why I feel that way is because they're not doing enough to serve the children and the people in their community. You got big tabernacles of churches, but the people on the outside are starving. Mm. 
There's a church on every single corner in some black communities, yet the people are out there starving. The, the church is the pillar of the black community. It was. I mean, during the civil rights movement, people met in the church. People go to church to get fed. People went to the church to get healed. All of a sudden, something happened. So because there's no, because there's no way, right? Because God is real. God is a healer. God is an anointer. He's a protector, right? God, God, God is real, right? Yes. To me. And, and we've seen God move in our lives. However, whatever, however we call him, whatever name, the name is irrelevant, right? There's no way that God could be just one way. And there's people all around the world. Part of the reason why it's important for children to travel and to go around the world, because when you go around the world, you see God everywhere. You see him everywhere. You see him in buildings. You see him in mountains and trees and bugs and different stuff. You see God's footprint everywhere around the world. But something has happened in the inner city, especially in the black community, when it comes to, to the black church, because the black church has lost its impact and its power. One of the biggest things that has happened when you talk about the youth is they talk about how hypocritical the black church is, how hypocritical they are. That a kid of young adults will walk into the black church and be judged to the point that they don't want to go there anymore because they're being talked about for what they're wearing, about their sexual orientation, about all these different things. Instead of talking about God's grace, where God loved them regardless of who they are and meeting them at their level. So then all of a sudden the kids is like, well, man, I don't want to come here. They beat me over the head with all this stuff. This man talking about living this certain way. And I see him over here doing X, Y, Z. Right. So it, the, the black church lost a lot of credibility. And so instead of just acquiescing and being like, OK, yeah, we got a lot of things wrong, but let's try to get it right and go out and, and get the youth. What has happened is that now they're against the youth. They don't even want the youth in their buildings. And the way that black church, any church thrives is from the youth. If you don't have youth in your church, your church will die. Because you got to raise a child up in the way that they should go. So they start being raised up in the church, knowing how to live and how to function. And then they carry that tradition on. But if you're not getting them in your doors because you're not going out and ministering to them and, and meeting them on their level and trying to build them up, all of a sudden you don't have a congregation. And so now what a church was designed to do, which was to heal people and get them back out to minister to other people, isn't happening. Do you think that um, we'll eventually get past looking up to celebrities for to to make change for us or for different things like that? Do you think we'll uh -huh. ever get get past that? Or you know, if if you're I not rich, so. you know, if you're not rich, <laughs> we can't listen to you. Or if you know, if you're not a celebrity, you know, it doesn't matter. And you think I hope we'll, so? Okay. I hope so because it's because it's, it's something else that's doing a disservice. I mean, but you know, we see the people on the reality TV, and at the end of the day, it comes down to parenting at home, right? So if the kids don't have an example at home of who to watch and who to emulate, then they're going to find somebody to emulate, right? That's about that idle mind as a devil's playground. You don't have any. You're not paying attention to nothing else. So you're going to focus on this. So now you're absolutely right. What you said, if they're not rich, if they're not this or that, then nobody's listening to them. And, and that's a disservice. I mean, that's, it's unfortunate. I hope we get away from it because success is the whole pie. It's not just money. 
Yeah. You know, it's it's peace, it's family, it's, it's friendship, balance. it's health, right? It's 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 having stability, right? And what's being presented is, oh well, this guy is rich, so he must be right. Or this this lady is rich and she, you know, has a certain figure, so she must be right. And you know, we're just kind of following that. And so then what happens? Is there any wonder that people feel the way they feel when they're on social media and they come off? And if you look at a lot of the studies, a lot of the people that are more affluent aren't having their children on social media. They're getting their kids more into playing with blocks and reading and more, you know, tangible things because of what it's doing to the children. It's funny that you mentioned that because we were talking to another person a couple of days ago and he was mentioning like a lot of a lot of the tech company moguls in silicon valley they don't their kids are not into you know like they don't see screens yeah they're not on the screen all day long on the ipad right and their schools look a little different and yep yep they're changing their schools to look to look more like how schools were when we were kids where they're playing with blocks and they're doing it's not all this this there's nothing wrong with, with technology, right? Like technology is great for what it's great for. Um, but the, you know, uh, we're being inundated with so many things and it's, it's what's being done to the kids with certain technology. And so, yeah, I mean, kids don't know how to talk to each other anymore. They don't know how to socialize. I mean, like socialization is one of the biggest issues that teachers are seeing with kids right now. Because you had kids that were in the second grade when COVID hit, and they've been out of school for almost two years. Some of them haven't gone back to full programming. And so now you have a second grader that's in a fourth grade class, but still has a second grade mind. And they weren't around people for two years. I mean, that's like being in solitary confinement. Now you're not around anybody but your parents, and you can't go anywhere for a long period of time. So think about the kids that aren't playing football like they used to or basketball or running outside. Think about the health issues they're going to have. The studies coming out about the like the COVID-15 or 20 or whatever it is where people have like gained massive amounts of weight because they weren't moving. They were sitting at home and then they're just watching TV and eating all the time and eating unhealthy food. And that, I mean, that's got the youth. <laughs> you know? I mean, so, but what it did so to the kids, the yeah, man, it's interesting. Their communication skills get affected because they're not yep. talking to people. They're not That's talking cool. to people. Yeah. yeah, they're not talking. I mean, we had kids that would come to camp that were shaking because they hadn't been around people in so mm-hmm. long, and they were concerned mm-hmm. that they were going to get COVID when they were around people. I mean, they were shaking, petrified wow. to come and be around people. Yeah. Wow. Psychological trauma. Yeah. Yep. Probably social anxiety, too, just from being A lot around of that. people. Yeah, oh, it's gonna be a lot of psychological problems that comes. Loud noises. Yeah. Wow. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. with um cryptocurrency, mm-hmm. they say it's gonna basically, you know, be one of the biggest, you know, it's gonna be one of the uh let's say wealth gaps or it's gonna kinda sure. pull together. I can my word is not I even there. It's gonna fill balance yeah. the the what do they call it? The biggest wealth transfer. It's close the wealth gap. That's what I was looking for. Um, mm-hmm. For, um, I guess, a lot of people, a large community of people. Mm-hmm. Are you into 
cryptocurrency or you you I'm 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 learning more about it. Yeah. Okay, so some people find the importance of it and you know some people are kind of slow to get into it. Sure. What do you think as far as even trying like for my own family? Mm-hmm. It's it's hard to, you know, kind of introduce it to them. Have you sure. tried introducing it to someone and what are some of the reactions or what do you think the perspective of certain people um have on getting into it or the future of cryptocurrency or even with kids and their future. I think um I think that people fear anything that they don't understand. Uh and so the first uh reaction is to kind of shun it uh or push it away. But you know, you can look around and see that it's not going anywhere. So the whole thing is is to figure out how to take advantage of it. Uh, learn it at whatever level you can learn it and and make it work for you. Um, the you know, now one thing that you know that we know about anything is that there's gonna be people that are gonna make money off of it, right? And gonna become successful and there's gonna be people that that won't and that are gonna lose money. But that's in anything. That's in any business industry. That's in any I mean, everybody didn't make money on making soda pop. Right. But Coca-Cola done made a whole lot of money and then and a whole lot of other people that invested in it made a lot of money. Right. So, you know, it's I think that is something that um, if if you're smart, you'll learn about it and be knowledgeable about it because you can see you can see where it's making changes. I mean, just on Cash App now, you can pay with cryptocurrency. Yeah, with right. Or you could with Bitcoin. Right. Or you could pay with um, or with stock. Right. Um, the NFT. I mean, you look at what's going on with Meta and just the whole metaverse and real estate and the metaverse. Right. I mean, there are people that are going to make a lot of money on that. But there are still people that are going to make money on recycling cardboard. You know, what I mean, it's whatever you're into. Like, if that's your thing, do it um, and, you know, and, and make it happen. I, I think that it's a great thing that people are coming up with different ways to make money and just the, the it just goes to the power of the mind and what's possible that at a time where we didn't think there would ever be a different kind of currency. There is different currency out here that I could take a picture of something and be like, Hey, this right here is worth a thousand dollars and people will buy it. I mean, I think that that's great. I think it creates opportunities for people that want to enterprise and make a difference in their life. And there's nothing wrong with that. And the people that are like, I'm not going to pay attention to it. It's going to be dead and go away. You know, woe on to them. That's not, you know, you got to pay attention. You can't just, you can't turn the blind eye to it because it's here. Yeah. You mentioned uh, the metaverse. Yeah. Do you, of course, I already know there's going to be some negatives dealing with people or, you know, period, just from screen addiction to metaverse to, you know, sure. just the whole, even, you know, the psychological yeah. thing with kids having been around. How do you see that? working out what metaverse finding a, finding a balance but from say the kids that we have now yeah have the anxiety or the you know haven't been around yeah. people or and they might find a comfort in vr or yeah. metaverse sure sure and screen addiction also in that little pocket yeah along with you know the possible of you know what the future could look like that is that right. a disaster thing well um, of course you know it's going to be whatever it's going to be but how right. do you see that either being negative or 
being a, a positive, positive for the traumatized, the psychologically shaking up um, kids going into that? Uh, I think the I think the the question that we really got to look at with that is, you know, it all comes down to how our parents going to control their kids when they're doing it, right? So it, it all falls down on on the parents. I mean, I, it's going to be, of course, there's going to be positives and negatives to it, right? Yeah. Now, of course, the positives with a lot of social media is you think of the people that you would not have talked to or seen if there wasn't social media. Friends that you know from years back when you were a kid, like, oh, man, that's so-and-so or whatever. Like all the positives that come out of it. And then of course, with any positive and things, there's going to be negative yeah. aspects to it, right? I mean, that just comes with it, right? You, right. you take the you know good with the bad or whatever. Um, but I think that there's going to be amazing breakthroughs that are going to come through it. Um, I think that there's going to be really cool things that people will be able to do. And it's like doing too much of anything. You do too much of it, it's not going to be good for you. Um, but I think that there are going to be a lot of people, for example, you think about the kid that has so much social anxiety, they're afraid to go outside, or the kid that doesn't feel, they're, they're not good at just gelling with people, but all of a sudden, this kid can like recreate themselves and be somebody else that they want to be, and now all of a sudden, they're happy, and they're joyous, and they're winning in this lane, and they I don't can make think money. <laughs> and they can make money at it, right? The one that can make money at it, like, man, this is all, this is, this is what I was born to do, right? That kid, <laughs> I think is great for them. You know, I think it's great for them. And, and why should we take that away from somebody that has that kind of epiphany in their life? Right. Anything that's going to keep. I mean, man, suicide and all that is a huge thing going on with young kids right now. And so anything that we can do to keep kids from feeling that way about themselves and to be positive and to move and be productive, man, we want to support that. Right. And, and be able to see what negatives are coming and be able to stop those things. But I think overall, man, I think it's going to be great. I mean, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what it's like, you know. What I mean, but I'm not gonna be on there every day, all day, all the time. I got things exactly. to do. <laughs> like- but when you're on there, it's good. Yeah, but I like your view on it, helping those yeah. kids in that, you know, in that in particular mindset. Yeah. You know, if you are antisocial like that, or you don't want to go into the work system, it does provide a possible future for you to find sure. somewhere to work and become a a, a character, or you know. Interact yeah, with people. <laughs> That's yes. gonna be wild. Hey, you see somebody, you be like, man, I never thought you would look like that in the VR, man. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, I think everybody's focusing on the negative when it comes to like metaverse and VR world. Yeah. Everybody's yeah. just go straight into the Black Mirror, um, you know, yeah. scenario yeah. and all of that. And yeah. I mean, they were doing the same thing when the internet back in the nineties, right? So just because there's you know dark web and like porn hub and things or whatever you can right. do with the internet right. um that doesn't mean the internet is not useful and helping a lot of businesses and corporations make money and individuals and it it helps everyone so it's just like that any technology can be used for good and bad and Absolutely. i think we just have to figure out how to moderate it but right now it's just facebook being on the forefront of this meta uh metaverse thing which is not the case and people don't understand there's a difference between the metaverse and meta whatever facebook the company is um because metaverse is really 
uh, blockchain and all of that technology, which is a very transparent thing. And mm -hmm. Facebook is the complete opposite of that or Meta, whatever the company is. And right. it's like they came in at a time when it's getting popular to yeah, kind of muddy right. up. Yeah, muddy up the waters a little bit and get people yeah. not realizing there's a lot more to that. I actually don't have to put on a VR glass to be in Sandbox or Decentraland. Right. Um, and I can use it moderately and like control myself just like I would with video games. Uh, there's people right. that make money with yeah. doing video games, but can also control their urges and all of that. I think. Those, right. Yeah. I mean, I wish I could be on a video game for like five, six hours right now. Man, I was playing, uh, what was I playing? I was playing Call of Duty one day, and I was like, yo, like, I'm like, I'm like man, this is so much fun. And and for me, it took my mind off of everything else I was thinking about, right? Like, and I'm a grown, grown man, right? And I'm, a, I'm like having a ball. And it's like when I got finished playing, I was like, man, I felt so much better. Like, I was like, I was relaxed, you know, it was almost like getting a nap because your mind is off of it. And I mean, I was just like, man, you got to do what works for you now, man. People are always going to have something to say about what you're doing and what you're trying to make happen. But, you know, like I heard somebody say one day, he said, man, he ain't no Bible. Right. Like they're, what they say is not like law. Right. People can, man, at a point in your life where you're seeing the cracks and issues with so many things out here. When you find a place where you're having some happiness and some joy at the end of the day, what we want more than anything is happiness, right? Yeah. If, if you could be happy and you could be happy every single day of your life, right. For the rest of your life, or you could be rich every single day, the rest of your life, which would you choose? Now, a lot of times we want to say, well, I'll be rich because that's going to make me happy, but that's not necessarily true. Right. We see that time and time again. How many millionaires and people are jumping off of bridges and killing themselves? Got plenty of money. What are you killing yourself for? Right. You think of somebody like Robin, Robin Williams, um, like one of the greatest comedians of all time. This yeah. man was dealing with crazy depression. Right. Right. And these people, they thought he was the funniest dude ever. He spent so much time making people laugh and he was great at it. And it's like, man, he's gone because he was dealing with all this stuff. And he was wealthy his whole life. I mean, he, 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 he was raised with money. Right. Yeah. And so it's like, man, when you realize that you can be happy and you start following happiness, as opposed to following what everybody else is telling you to do, you really stop caring about what other people think. Yeah, you do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. really do. You'd be like, all right, I feel you. I'm over here though. <laughs> but before we get ready to close it out, yeah. anything you'd like to let the audience know? Um, you know, man, really, I think it's I think it's just that, man. I think it's it's choose to be happy, man. Choose to be happy, man. Choose to be that. happy every day you wake up, man. And, and you know, and that's something I want to make sure I do every day, man. Just every day you wake up, man, make a conscious choice to be happy and that you're not going to let nobody take that away from you. Regardless of whether you got a million dollars or you got one dollar, because we can all remember times when we had like one dollar. But man, it was like, but you had a good time. <laughs> you know what Not I mean? Like negative. <laughs> right, right, negative. right. <laughs> yeah, negative, you know. <laughs> man, you know, but have a good time, man. Choose to be happy. Yeah, definitely. Any yeah. um let them know your links and where they can follow you at and everything like that. Hey, on social media, you follow me at SF Dreams Big. 
Uh, that's where I talk about a lot of stuff for our programs and what we got going on uh, with the magazine and the orphanage and Camp Warrior King. You can have it all. Um, to get connected with You Can Have It All or to you know help support the orphanage, you go to YCHIAMAG.com or just look up You Can Have It All magazine. Definitely. Yeah. So, uh, and for the podcast, you can find us at AmericanGypsy.com. Uh, you'll find links to our uh, merchandise at Luam Lee and uh, Patreon. And also all of these podcasts have a video on American Gypsy YouTube. So make sure you go subscribe, um, get the videos. Also, you can check out some music if you like at Classic, K-L-A-C-C-I-K, Carpenter, C-A-R-P-E-N-T-A. And you don't have Spotify. to try to remember all of this is actually yeah. on the website. <laughs> uh, go to AmericanGypsy.com and um, you can go to the host and you'll find the music information and all of that. Sean, it's been a great conversation, man. Thank I you really, so much. Really I appreciate enjoyed it. this, man. Definitely. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed talking with y'all. Man. I wanted to ask again. a little more about um about the neighborhood of where they moved the stadium from. Was it Turnerfield? But yeah, we always invite everybody back. So uh -huh. we definitely gonna set up something in the future and have a, another Let's conversation, do it. man. Yeah, because they sure did. They moved it and moved it out to uh to out out Cobb there County. Smyrna. Yeah, it moved out to Cobb County, man, and impacted a whole lot of people when they did that. The good thing is, is that Georgia State got it now, and uh, you know they're building it back up. So hopefully they'll help out the people in the community. But um, you know, but the community looks a little different now. <laughs> yeah, I understand. <laughs> and then you know, you know, you know how that goes. <laughs> yeah. So we look forward to discussing that on the next go round, man. And Let's stay blessed. Hope all is you know perfect over there. Absolutely. And consistent self-improvement to everybody listening. Thank you again for listening to American Gypsy Podcast. And peace. Peace.